Welcome once again to Replacement Level Morality. My name is Joseph. My name is Andrew. Andrew, did you enjoy uh, your weekend? I did. I, I couldn't escape the feeling that someone was watching me, weirdly. But uh, other than that, it was a good weekend. That blimp that was following us around in Indiana was a bit... It was a bit odd, but I guess, you know, the things float through the air sometimes yeah, from other places. It was more of that strange oil. It's probably nothing. <laughs> I mean, you can't escape the news, right? It was the all weekend. The drama was about a Chinese surveillance balloon that wandered on in like the house from up into uh, all of those vast uh, upper Midwestern places where we also happen to have all of our uh, nuclear weapon launch facilities and uh, was kind of chilling and um, trying to, you know, maybe come by, deliver a pie, <laughs> say hello, perhaps and conduct international espionage and was observed evidently by some randos in Billings and said, hey, what's that? <laughs> Real loud so that suddenly a lot of information came out that, indeed, yes, it was a Chinese surveillance balloon. And it uh, was identified by the U.S. military. And at first, they seemed very recalcitrant to shoot it down until ultimately deciding that, in fact, that they would do so once it had moved uh, to the eastern seaboard and could be uh, shot down over the ocean. Um, yeah, less chance of debris falling on people over the ocean. Which we appreciate. Yeah, I I will say, before we launch into the geopolitical ramifications and what it says, I actually buy the argument that it was much safer to shoot it down over the ocean. And that's probably why they didn't shoot it down in, you know, uh, even in Montana. Because uh, the chances that a piece of a Chinese spy balloon falls into grandma's uh, living room and smushes her is very small in such an underpopulated place but not zero in the ocean. It's definitely zero. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so might was, as well. It was huge and it was very high up. So you can't get an exact projection of where it's going to fall. So yeah, it, fortunately the mini coup that happened where Biden wanted to shoot it down, but the security state said no kind of was right, but it seems like they really had the whole thing. On lock. Turns out when you have satellites, it's really easy to see giant balloons coming towards you. <laughs> it turns out they they stick out quite a bit. Uh, I, I had heard the opposite, that they had simply advised him not to, and he chose not to. Is the story you heard that he said, I want to shoot it down, and they're like, no, we're not going to? I did not hear that version. I didn't hear that exactly, but that's kind of what the subtext was. It was like... No, Grandma, Grandpa, let's get you to bed. <laughs> this is a bad idea. We're, we're, we're handling this. It's fine. Just, just, uh, you know how you call the lid at 1230. <laughs> if you have a link to that, I would gladly want to, I'd love to hear that version of events, but listen, I, I listen. only saw very repeatedly the same take, which was they came with a recommendation of don't shoot it down. And he said, then I won't shoot it down. I like my version better. I, I mean, I do too, but, <laughs> but, uh, the, I got, you've already kind of said it though. The, the dynamic that is outside the news cycle, as far as I can tell is balloon surveillance is something that the Chinese have developed in lieu of a satisfactory satellite observation system. The U.S. doesn't have a lot of great balloon technology because we sort of gave that up because we have satellites that are better. So why develop new balloon-based technology when one can go to the moon? But the Chinese, with a less developed uh, industrial base and scientific base that's been natively uh, developed, Launching a bunch of spy satellites is not something they really uh, can accomplish. So balloons are easier. So they've done balloons. It's neat. Balloons are neat. It's quaint. It, it's very quaint. <laughs> like, oh, the poverty spying is here. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. <laughs> uh, 
poverty, yes, but as many we make this point very often that they're using like 60s and 70s technology unironically. Yeah. Like they had a ski jump aircraft carrier very recently. They still it's still there. Yeah, yeah, it's part it's part of their key plan for their fleet. They have two ski jump ones because they they bought one rotting husk off the Russians and then copied it. So they've got two of a completely antiquated design. Only now have they finally launched it at true flat top. That's powered by diesel. Oh, they have some they have some nuclear submarines. Uh they're they're okay. They're extremely okay. Like whenever <laughs> you like get a few drinks into uh retired sailors uh and or hang out with them on reddit as i try to do uh they'll always say like yeah it's funny how loud they are you hear them coming <laughs> <so far> away. <laughs> I mean, they're not fooling anybody <laughs> no no it's like there they are <laughs> Ooh, sneaky boys <laughs> we're all sneaky sneaky you did Slick- it they are slightly more sneaky than a giant balloon. <laughs> so they're they're engaged in low tech, high efficiency attempts to project power, influence, and gain information, which is what they're capable of doing. So that's what they probably should do. But to think that the United States that has Signals intelligence so vast and so superior to every other nation that we can and do observe the goings-on of every other world leader in near real time at all times. That we didn't know exactly when this balloon was coming, where it was going, and that we could in fact provide it whatever information we wished to, perhaps to our advantage if we so chose, particularly if we ignored them. And acted like we didn't notice. Which worked until people noticed. Until the Chinese got a little fucking full of themselves and dropped that bitch down to 50,000 feet. And suddenly everyone's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, I don't know if that's because they decided they really didn't want Blinken to show up. And they didn't want to just withdraw the uh, invitation for him to, to go. Because that's, that's another part of this, right? Is this Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State. A man whose name you never hear. I don't know how he's Secretary of State for the last two years, and no one can ever fucking have his name in their mouths, but somehow he's managed it, right? He was supposed to go to China, first Secretary of State visit in six years. It's going to be a big deal. He was supposed to go on Friday, and it just so happens on Thursday, China forces the issue of a surveillance drone in the middle of the nuclear weapons area that can be seen by civilians who then reported on Twitter. I don't, I don't think it's about Blinken. Like I understand not wanting him to visit your country, but I, I don't think that's it. I think they wanted, they wanted some hard data. They wanted to know exactly how many silos there were exactly what's in them. But the thing is, we're fine with them knowing that. The whole point of a nuclear deterrent is that your enemy has to have pretty high confidence that it is in place and will work. This is a theme of a, a famous movie called Doctor Strange Love, where they, they build a doomsday device and then they just don't tell anyone. It doesn't do anything <laughs> except blow the whole world up. I'm just proud you've seen a movie. <laughs> <laughs> I watched a running that joke in, on that one. I watched that in February of 2022 because people were making memes about nuclear war. And I'm like, oh, if only there was an incredibly famous black comedy about this. Good news. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree. Some of this we want them to know. Other things we can sort of sprinkle in. Other things we could just say no to. We, we have the ability to intercept their technology and make use of it what we wish to. And when you're playing the 5D chess of international political espionage and military maneuver and posturing, these are the games you play. 
this is this is what's up. This is what they're doing at these three letter agencies. This is what they're doing at the top. This is this is where they're playing for keeps. And yeah, we're a million miles ahead, but we stay a million miles ahead because we keep working at it, right? We don't we don't stop, right? That's that's how you keep that advantage. And I wonder if I mean the Chinese apparently have done this a few times over the last six years. Some say a handful of times under Trump, unconfirmed, at least a few times under Biden. And we haven't ever said anything about it. And you wonder if China knows that we know, it's like a line in winter situation, that they decided to do this on purpose because they wanted to skunk that visit for some reason. And there's a lot of internal political changes happening in China right now that might lead one to believe that's true. They just dumped uh, the Wolf Warrior diplomacy guy. And if that's the case, then maybe there's a shakeup in their State Department in such a fashion that they don't have a unified policy yet. Someone did some shit. You, you never know with this stuff, you know? Yeah, this feels more Wolf Warrior diplomacy than not. Right. And it was on the verge of when they were inviting a guy specifically to start a new chapter, right? Mm-hmm. So, so what it's if like the classic, this is how Firefly got canceled. You you come in and you ax your predecessor's projects and the boss is gone, but the people who believed in the boss's message are still there. I see. So what if the guy at the top wants to bring in this U.S. Secretary of State and cool relations and try and rebuild trade ties because China is suffering from all these import restrictions on superconductors and all of this technology sharing clamp down of like, we're on to your shit now. So we're going to go ahead and, and be very protectionist and exclusionary of you and slow you down and claw away at your, your advantage. We're going to bleed you slowly. And they are like, okay, we get the picture. Well, let's open things back up. Let's see if we can have some conversations. Let's see if we can loosen some things in exchange for whatever you want. And then you got the people who believe in the old boss's message of no, fuck you. We've time, the time is now for us to assert our glorious uh, mission to reclaim our, our precedence as the primary power of Southeast Asia. And that means putting Americans in their place and asserting ourselves wherever possible. And this is what you get. Well, I, for one, feel very put in my place by your 60s technology. I mean, when you buy into a national myth like that, doesn't mean you act rationally. You know, the, the the people making these decisions, they've grown up in this nationalistic cult now for what twenty years. Yeah, uh, and that's that's a good point. Uh, it's just it's just a very interesting dynamic where China simultaneously sees us as the enemy, but also they can't live without us. We made them who they are. Yeah. Without us buying all your goods, you got nothing. And we let you get away with nonsense for so long. (laughs) Maybe out of a sense of obligation, right? We were one of the treaty powers at the time that was it the Qing dynasty. So the, the final dynastic government of China was notoriously weak and Western governments basically showed up and colonized all of their import-export business and famously addicted them to to opium and and otherwise abused them horrifically. And the United States got involved in the tail end of that. And it only ended as a consequence of the horrors of the world wars kind of breaking the fever on this kind of, of activity globally. And perhaps there was a bit of tolerance for China helping themselves to a few uh, a few things as as recompense, like allowing them to climb very quickly out of the cellar of of global poverty at our expense. It's a kind of the same bargain we gave Europe. We decided to finally give them. I don't even know if it's at our expense. Like we got lots of cheap consumer goods out of the deal. That there yeah. we got yeah. lots of uh, very nice T bill rates from them. Just constantly buying it up and keeping their the one pegged to the dollar at a very cheap rate. It's true. We did benefit from it in a, in a different way that they didn't have anywhere else that they could go to, 
to utilize all of this wealth except for us. And it would allow them to further their power, but only to the level at which they conflict with us. And at which time they, they can't compete with us. And the and us here is the West, not just the United States. It includes Japan. It includes Australia. It includes Taiwan to it, some it extent. It includes our satellites personally. I think it matters less if it's like the British or the French. I think it matters a lot if it's someone that we have as a client state like Japan or Australia or New Zealand where we've made – Or South Korea. Or South Korea that we've made an affirmative commitment to their actual physical defense as well as having such a deep commercial ties. And they resent that, I'm sure, because centuries past, it was all of that territory was theirs. If you talk about talking about Japan as a not necessarily ever a colonized uh, by China or conquered famously, but was still lesser, right? Was still a, a secondary power. Korea changed hands between who had influence over the peninsula between Japan and, and China. And China was generally superior in that regard. And Southeast Asia was all China, all influenced by them. Um, it, not necessarily direct control, but in much the same way we have client states, they had client states. And then that all fell apart. And then the West came in and took over their position. And then Japan came in and really did horrific things. And now we have this new status quo. Uh, and. They think that they should be simply permitted to take their spot as the primary power in the area. That this is the way history has determined it should be. We've always been in charge in this part of the world. We have this weird integrum where all the Westerners showed up and fucked it all up for everybody. And the Japanese blew it out after that. And now it's back to us. And it's, it's shockingly similar so what we talk about all the time on this program with respect to Poland, whereas this is this historically occupied and s- stepped on, stepped Step- on people. Yeah. Uh, crushed under boot heels and we come in and kind of provide a arsenal of democracy and then some, some, some good grass fed Iowa soldiers to really make sure they don't come pouring through the folded gap, and some, and, I, and they're not happy about it. Old imperial powers are going to be the last to want to cotton to the fact that they're the the people from which they used to have susantry don't want them around anymore. Right, the last people who are going to realize that the Ukrainians and the Poles and the Lithuanians and the Estonians. And the Georgians and all of the other subsidiary ethnicities and sociopolitical groups outside of the main Russian nation doesn't want them to dictate their lives to them anymore is going to be Russia. They're the last ones to figure that out. Yeah. Everybody else has figured it out, but they don't they don't like it. And the same with the Chinese, where they're never gonna let go that this belongs to them. Because that's the way it was, much the same it was for Russia for century upon century upon century until it wasn't all at once. Especially Taiwan. Yeah, it's literally filled with Chinese people like right off their coast. Like it's right there. It is right there. That would be like Puerto Rico saying they're like an entirely different version of America, right? That a bunch of Confederates – went to Puerto Rico after they lost and declared that they were the real America, that they're the actual American nation, the Confederate States, and staying there while the actual union who won continues to govern the actual country. Well, it's it's as if the Confederacy had won and the D.C. government had shipped off to Puerto Rico. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Still. And then here we are years later, and they're still not back part of our country and still claiming they're a different country and really the real country, and it's it's not over. And some other third party stepped in and said, we're not allowed to settle it. Yeah, that would drive me crazy too. 
we would be we would be uh very upset about that if that if the roles were reversed and uh fortunately there's definitely a time to say well i understand you're upset but as as good clausewitzians war is politics by other means and we have better guns than you so that's the way it is and you would hope and this would probably be the case in our hypothetical there did be an accordance to say well yeah i guess it doesn't matter if puerto rico wants to be a different country especially because we're interlocked trade partners and we have to constantly deal with each other and we're ethnically the same so the west has a much deeper tradition of of pragmatism about these things like Okay, we'll we'll give up Alsace Lorraine because we lost the war. It sucks, but that's the we'll get it back in the next one. It'll be fine. Yeah, uh, the the Eastern cultures are so much more about saving face and saving your reputation. They don't they don't have that. Okay, we give a little, we get this, we got to settle this and leave our differences in the past. It is a very dare I dare I say it Judeo Christian. Hey, it's probably. I mean, there's something to the fact that the uh, the imperial Chinese government required Westerners to come and show a, uh, a, a, a their total submission to their power as a divine and heavenly uh, inspired leader before they're allowed to do business in their country. And eventually, the British decided they just didn't want to do that anymore, and they just shoot their way in. <laughs> Like, enough of this. (laughs) You know, that's what it came down to was the kowtow. Was the British refusal to continue to engage in the kowtow just to get their hands on on tea and the fact that they could only trade in silver. They're like, no, you're you're all technologically backwards. We're going to fucking rival stomp a lot of you. Never mind. Here's like three ships with cannons. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Except, of course, for Taiwan, who's super Western influenced at this point. Yeah, they they Taiwan, if you, they could settle it with okay, we start trading, we acknowledge that we're a separate nation, but you guys have mainland China, we're not going to contest that anymore. Taiwan would take the deal in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, absolutely, and they would probably be very warm to China and want to have continued, you know, a lot of communication and trade, and it's like we're cousins, but we live in different houses. We're close though; we're neighbors. <laughs> you know, like we watch each other's dogs. They can have a defense arrangement where they like, you know, can do like mutual patrol of their shared borders and friendly fashion and like pledge to to intervene if the others invaded and request help. They probably sell them a lot of semiconductors that probably kind of a disaster for us. Yeah. Cut them a deal on semiconductors. You could they would profit so much from having a nice, peaceful relationship with Taiwan, but they just fucking can't get there. Is right there in front of them. It would be so easy. And I don't want to make it sound like there's something like peculiarly Western as opposed to it is Western, but it's very trade influenced because we we have that culture of like you give up something to get something. But the same respectability culture comes out in Western prisons. Like anytime you don't have an outside guarantor of contracts, your reputation is the only way you know that someone will be as good as their word. And unsurprisingly in prison, the outside guarantor of the contract is usually someone you have to involve in your transactions when you are new, like that dynamic, even like there are outside guarantors is where gangs come into play. Right, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's the reputations of the gangs that keep the whole thing together. It's like there's there's these two ways to build societal trust. One is if you break the thing that the uh, gang leader has told you not to, they break your arm. Or the other is courts. I prefer courts. <laughs> you're, you're more you're more oriented towards courts yeah that's your preference yeah uh, I, I, I appreciate a good lawyers are useless joke as much as the next guy but but they ain't <laughs> they they ain't <laughs> to, to wrap up the topic though um we're we have a very particular position on our show and that is 
The zenith of Chinese power is now. You're living in it. And that zenith is a fraction of our own. And we opened with a first episode where we made it very clear. We're a very pro-America operation here. We do believe that from a ethical position, but also from a power position, it's like Wilt Chamberlain playing against 10 year olds out there. And the Chinese balloon thing was more about how it was turned into theater for domestic politics than in any way a genuine threat to the United States. And it's really important to remember how far ahead of them we are by decades, technologically, and how deep the game gets played at that level such that the reason you never heard about it is because we, being the United States, wanted it that way. And you should probably think on that. I got more than my share of problems with various three-letter agencies. But one thing we have in common is the CCP is bad. So yes. <laughs> Cosigns. <laughs> We're all on the same page here, boys. So the other big news had to do with a police-related crime. This was the horrific beating that occurred uh, of a gentleman in Memphis, Tennessee by five police officers. And this beating was so severe, it was lethal to him. And by both coincidence and decision of the perpetrators, very clearly recorded both on a on pole cameras, on body cameras. And so there is a, a explicit amount of evidence about how completely unjustified and brutal the beating these five officers gave this man was. It has led to a very small amount of political discourse in the United States. It was quite a shocking crime. They were all arrested for felony murder uh, before the video even came out. But here we are recording on February 6th, not a week after it came out, and uh, no one wishes to talk about it, even though this is a clear abuse of police power against someone who was being brutalized unnecessarily. Why is that? So for me, I have been a longtime critic of police, as many libertarians are known to be. Phrase is a few bad apples spoil the barrel. The problem with Daniel Shaver's murder was always that no one was arrested. They weren't even fired. If I or you were to, or any other lawful gun owner who happens to not have a badge on them, had done what those cops did they would be immediately put in prison for a very long time. And there was this legal immunity that came with holding a badge, some qualified immunity, but, but qualified immunity is, uh, is immunity from civil, not criminal penalties. There was, there was a, by, by prosecutor fiat, there was a complete immunity from all, but the most heinous crimes. The tide seems to have turned on that, and partially because this was so egregious, and partially because no one wanted to be the first prosecutor. Prosecutors and cops work very closely together. The cops give them the evidence that they get to make their convictions. Their convictions make their future political careers. Prosecutors did not want to make enemies of the police, and that has created all sorts of problems. But once someone else has done that, once you have a kind of cover to say, okay, given enough evidence, there is a new norm. The new norm is we will prosecute in egregious cases. We're in a much better world. We're in a much better world when those five are immediately arrested. And I, for me, it's horrific that it happened. And I don't want to underplay that. But there will all, where's a, this is a country of, 350 million people mm -hmm. there are always going and it's and a lot of violence 
and a lot of people with guns who will shoot at police. And police will become quite jumpy because they get shot at sometimes. There will always be horrific things that happens. The systemic part of the injustice, the, the justice system does not exist to make sure that no one ever gets murdered. The justice system exists to bring the, the perpetrators to justice. And as long as that happens, it's tragic, but there are a lot of murders in this country every, every day, every, every year. We have not. I mean, it's all true. I, I agree largely with the point that you're getting to, which is there seems to have been a change in that they were arrested before the video even came out. There isn't really any question as to what the result will be from this, but that doesn't absolve the public conversation simply not occurring. And I asked a rhetorical question, but I would like you to, to answer it, which is why did, why do you think that the press stopped covering this? Why do you think it was a two day story? What's said has been said. What's what can (laughs) the universe of possible statements about police brutality was all said in 2020. I, I don't agree with you. I think that ultimately if this was white officers were in, in any way involved in the beating of this suspect, not that they were all would all be, uh, then you would not, you would, you would have had violence in the street. Absolutely. And it would still be the number one news topic right now. But because it was five black officers murdering a black suspect, no one wants to talk about it. Despite the fact that because there's no racial dynamic, it would be much more constructive to talk about it. Because you could talk about the institutional problems with policing, about the use of authority in an unjust fashion the processes that lead to officers believing that they can get away with something like this, the way that they use the system in order to do so. These are all problems. I agree with you on them, but there is no desire on anyone's part to have that conversation right now because most of the oxygen has made, it has been used up in making it a racial argument. And that is what is so maddening to me. It's only a conversation that you can have under the prospect of white officers abusing minorities, which is not at actually the problem here. Obviously, there's percentages here. Like there is a non-zero contribution of what you're saying. Uh, I'm reminded of I forget the officer's name, and I'm I hope it fades from history. But the officer in Columbus who shot the teenager in the middle of stabbing another teenager i know his name i will i will join you in not naming him because i hope he gets to move on and live his normal life and be a cop in columbus with no one bothering him for his correct decision and we had this conversation at the time that was i don't think this will be half as big of a deal they immediately tried to make it the next george floyd and within a a, even two hours on twitter of let teenagers have night fights being the take. It just wasn't sustainable. There aren't enough people that stupid. Yeah. Fortunately, that was a white cop and a black teenager. Like I said, I don't think there's a 0% contribution of what you're saying. I'd hope that it's people like that. There are a lot of people. I mean, I I think that in that situation, uh, the officer in question was able to, um, emerge unscathed ultimately and it took a year by the way for that investigation to occur. for a year he sat on the bench and was unable to work while being paid so it, they still let they let it fade totally from memory before they put out a you know one page report to say there'll be no indictment he's back on duty and this is over like that that's how afraid they were despite the fact that there was video evidence immediately that showed that this officer acted 100% correctly in every action he took. And that is why the story died in no other reason. If there was a white officer involved in this activity that we just all unfortunately have evidence to that resulted in this man being murdered, 
they would be taking that ball and running with it because they would have the impropriety necessary to make the argument. They gave up on it on the Columbus thing because it was so completely justified. There was nowhere to go with it. Like you said, they got into streets with the let kids have knife fights thing and just died immediately. And they're like, well, we got nothing then. But it's very similar because there was an argument in a hot second after after the attack was like, cops are blue. They're not white or black. It's so transparently stupid that it can't build a momentum on oh, its own. And, th- and they went with the this is still white supremacy thing. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure the list account got a workout that day trying to find every one of those takes. Right. They still happened. I'm saying that this is the racial element I'm talking about. There's a white officer involved. There's no question that this is going in a much different direction. They would have been street violence. There would be nonstop takes. That 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 element would would have be 100% in their focus. But they, because they didn't have it and they couldn't use that element, they gave up. They didn't talk about the Columbus shooting and how justified it was. They let they just Pushed it off to the side as if, okay, no, we're not, we're going to memory hold the whole idea that police officers would have to roll up to a violent situation, have to make a split second decision on who or what they do to prevent lives from being lost, even if that makes, means taking another one. No, we're not going to, we're not going to settle that debate within the public. We're going to let that slowly die off camera over a year and then let this guy go back to work when no one fucking remembers what happened because that's the only way we can actually allow even that guy to have his life back, let alone have an honest civic discussion about how exactly fucking correct he was. I think you're you're looking at a handful of grifters that are, that are real actual race baiters and expanding that to the broader public conversation. If they weren't all on MSNBC all the time, I'd probably (laughs) worry less about it. Like if they weren't on national fucking television three hours a night. Yeah, that's true. I, that's the problem. I don't don't watch cable news. So maybe I'm underrating their influence because I just assume that people with a brain don't observe that poison. I say as a frequent Twitter user, Uh, (laughs) you know, it's, the the ratings are low, but the televisions that are tuned in are the ones that matter. You know, like I, Sagar and Jotty says it all the time. He lives in one of the the most important media political uh, zip codes in the country. And when he's walking his dog in the morning, every one of those houses have a TV that's got MSNBC and Morning Joe on. Every fucking one of them. It's like the the view absolute viewership is low, but who is watching and who is absorbing that? are the people that they want to absorb it. Yeah. And there is a real problem with uh, lack of firing line esque programming where there's real conversations that happen. Yeah. There's, there's a lot more by my book about this. Um, So that's definitely a part of it. I do think that the underlying facts continue to have significant sway over the course of events. This is like when it's like some, the, the Fox news is going to call Biden a socialist. Like (coughs) people would say in the democratic nominations fight, like, Oh, they'll, they'll call whoever a socialist. So just nominate Bernie. Like, no, it has more purchase. It's (laughs) true. Yeah, they're going to call him a socialist, but it will be wrong. That will <laughs> actually matter to the conversation because there will be counterfactuals that can be brought into evidence. If you nominate Bernie, he'll be like, he'll be a socialist. And Bernie himself will be like, that is correct. <laughs> like, and that will be, okay, well, if that is something you care about, you're not voting for this man. you know. And now Bernie has to convince you that that's not a bad thing, which is much harder. Yes. And, and this is something that the – DNC hacks, God bless them, always understood. They always got like, Bernie, you're, you, yes, you will overperform in certain places with certain demos, but there's a whole bunch of people in this country who have no interest in voting for an old communist like you. So no, you don't get to be president. That ain't how this is going to be. Why did we get rid of superdelegates? <laughs> well, they, they kind of did. I mean, they just found a different way to manipulate the system. Much to the chagrin of everyone who read the emails. (laughs) And then later on watched as every single person that wasn't Bernie Sanders dropped out of the race at the same day and all endorsed Joe Biden. Like, there are super delegates 
And then there the, are then there's the real super delegates, you know, and the, you've never known those people's names your whole life. <laughs> there was weeping and gnashing of teeth that day. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the Amy Klobuchar story from all that's just perfect. She, was it, she? I always assumed that she was promised VP and then George Floyd died. Yes. So it had to be a black woman. Is that what is that like confirmed? Uh, I mean, to the extent that the gossipy political writers have written it. But the sequence of events that I have seen recorded that I believe to be completely true uh, is she refused. First, she refused to concede and endorse until Pete Buttigieg did so. Oh, yeah. That, so, that would be so embarrassing for her to be like a longtime senator from the Midwest has like Midwest mom appeal. And like you're losing to a no name mayor from Indiana. That had to be so embarrassing. I felt like. A little bit bad for her. Like we have the same poll numbers and he sucks. And he Why is actually, this happening no, to me? It wasn't the same poll numbers. He beat her the whole way. He, yeah, he was always like a couple points ahead, but they were in the same ballpark. He won Iowa. If you recall, and Amy Klobuchar was like fifth. Uh, he was second in New Hampshire. He was clearly the next best candidate, right? Mm-hmm. And he probably by all rights should have been the last. To have to do so. But Amy Klobuchar refused to do it until he did. So he went first. And that's why it's Secretary Judge now, by the way. <laughs> like, he played his role. He he fucking caught to doing it first just to settle the, settle the thing. And so then Amy Klobuchar did it. And she was promised, quietly, when the dust settles and, and you know, we do some events and we work some things out. We do the vetting. You're going to get the – you're going to get the VP – you know, call first. It'll be up to you what you want to do, but you'll be the first on the list, right? And then George Floyd happens, and he promises to it that it won't be just a woman. Now it's got to be a black woman. <laughs> Some way, Klobuchar doesn't get to be anything because <laughs> she's also a senator from the state this all happened in, and has like a record of supporting like crime bills or whatever yeah, she was quite the prosecutor i understand yeah she was a prosecutor yeah she she put people in jail so suddenly she she's not only unfashionable enough not to be the vice president she didn't get to be in the cabinet right she got uh, nothing she yeah. put people in jail unlike kamala harris right she got nothing and yeah imagine you're amy Klobuchar. first you got beat by pete Buttigieg, and then second because of some fucking cop putting his knee on a guy's neck and choking him to death on camera. <laughs> the person who winds up vice president instead of you is a lady so unlikable and so politically untalented. She did not get her campaign to the point where a single vote could even be cast for her. Like she just didn't, she didn't just lose. She failed to compete. She didn't even get to the starting line. She fell over her ankles and fell into a, a, a pit into hell before she could even get to the starting line. So I've had this conversation with uh, a bunch of people. Of like, if we were to exchange some missiles over Taiwan, would you want Biden to resign? I was like kind of leaning towards yes, because like Kamala is like competent evil. And then someone pointed out to me once. No, she couldn't run a campaign long enough to get to Iowa. She's, her campaign just imploded out from under her because she's such a bad manager. Yeah, she's had like, multiple staff turnovers as vice president over the first two years because she can't manage people. Yeah. And by the way, people in their middle age rarely suddenly, you know, develop these skills from nowhere, right? Like Kamala Harris isn't a young woman who's still finding her way through these new responsibilities. She has existed in the halls of the the heightened halls of power for the last 20 years. This is as good as you're going to fucking get out of her, right? So, like, this is it. This is the top. Top. And, yeah. Yeah, like, I think I like senile Biden over Kamala Harris. And fortunately or unfortunately, it would just be the generals doing things. But that's that's got its own set of problems. Like, sure, they... They handle balloons very well, but sometimes we saw this with COVID when, when your job is to optimize thing and for the generals, their job is to optimize 
getting the enemy dead as effectively as possible. Sometimes you substitute optimize your thing for my thing is the most important thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right that it it has a similar parallel to public health experts and how they treated COVID. They would experts tend to think that the thing that they're an expert in is the most important thing. You ask me what I think the most important thing is. I'm going to tell you some esoteric nonsense about municipal finance because that's what I do. I mean, that's, that's not actually all that important relative to many other things, but to me, it's what I've devoted my life to. So it is important to me. I definitely had a phase and by phase, I mean many years where Every problem was really the fault of the drug war. I still think that's true of a lot of problems, but uh, you, you grow out of mono, monocausal explanations at some point. <laughs> you make your first contact with complex systems and realize how small a part you are in a larger machine and are grateful for its operation. I, mean, I was just talking to my wife about this relative to some strange woke cartoon garbage I saw on Twitter about getting reparations. It was very bizarre. It was from some kid's show on Disney plus. And I think about like this, the baby soft millennial scumbags that are writing this material and producing this material for the streaming service at this point. And all I can think is like, you are so lucky that you exist in a system that is able to be maintained by a small amount of hard men that you would hate beyond all measure. Like I, and I work with those kinds of people and I understand them as a consequence. And that's why I'm just, you have no concept of who is making your society run. Who's responsible for ensuring that you're, when you flush your toilet, that sewage goes away. When you start your tap, that water comes when that, when you turn that light on that, that power shows up and someone comes to pick up your garbage, haul your ass to the hospital. And yes, even show up with weapons to defend you. If you ask them to. We cook your meals. We connect your calls. We guard you while you sleep. Good, you saw two movies. I, I have <laughs> seen two movies. It, it, they're so lucky that that system exists and is so efficient, and the people running it are so uninvolved with their bullshit that they continue to run it despite what they're doing. One percent of America is farmers. That just produces more food than the entire country could consume. We export so much food. Just with like this handful of people. 1%. 1%. It used to be 95. Yeah. Yeah. Not long ago either, guys. <laughs> Even in America, there was there was a very long period where most people were in, in indulged were using subsistence agriculture to survive. Americans are real bad about thinking 200 years is a long time. It is not. It's not. It's not even close. That's like one dynasty in China. That's like (laughs) one, one royal family in England. You know, it's not even one royal family in France. (laughs) I mean, it's really not a long time. And our, our, our country's destiny may not be permanent. This might not be the, the empire to last a thousand years. Okay. We may not make it. And that it's really hard to maintain it. And it requires everyone, especially in a creedal nation experiment like this to realize you're going to just have to make do with people that are not like you and accept that. Otherwise this won't work. This stuff never survives when it makes contact with the real world. And, every, and no one wants to acknowledge it. They acknowledge it in the moments where it makes contact, fails, and they don't try that particular angle again. Let's let kids have knife fights. But they never learn the actual lesson that they've gone too far. They just keep trying a new angle. There's a real phenomenon of an idea so stupid only an academic could believe it. Because they're so separated from the rest of the universe that they're not thinking with reality. So they're so unburdened by truth that they can just go to the most special of places. And great art can come from that. It really can. What is Star Trek except the extrapolation of an impossible utopian dream? Oh, 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 do you like Star Trek? 
big fan might have a bit of a show about it. <laughs> but I mean, that's 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 I don't want to say aspirational because it is almost it is essentially fantasy in how aspirational it is. But because it's elevated, it is something that can be enjoyed as something to look up to, even if it is very distant in the far, far, far reaches of your vision. So it's good to have people who are willing to go there, but it has to know its place and that its place is not the the real world. That is still pretty miserable and violent a lot of the time just for people with less resources and a worse area code than you. Oh, we saw this real bad in 2020 when it was like the protest, the riots were allowed to continue until exactly they they were outside the governor's mansion. Yeah, okay, now, or the now gated community. Yeah. Now it's time to deal with this. It's like, it, as long as the problems stay over there where they belong, everything's fine. As long as I can treat this experience like a tourist, observing it from afar, it's fine. You get to feel superior about, like, previous generations that did white flight, but you just, like, you happened to live out in the suburbs far away from the crime. You so didn't have to flee because someone <laughs> fled on your behalf. <laughs> so many people showed up to the budget hearings in Cincinnati in 2020 digitally that didn't even live in Cincinnati to complain about police funding. And it's like over and over and over again, the local politician said, why are you not at the city council meetings of Loveland complaining about this? If you're from Loveland, you know, like get out of here. You don't live here. It's not your problem. It's just, yeah, you already live in the the whitiest, flightiest of suburbs surrounding our city. We already we know your opinion. Why don't you go back? We don't uh, want you. I, I believe the technical term for this is revealed preference or GTFO. It might as well be our second title. Yeah, it's it's easy. To, it's real cheap to have opinions about places you don't live being being too being too hard on crime and it's unfair of the police to crack down when the violence comes to your door suddenly you're, suddenly you're outside with an AK47 in your polo shirt <laughs> thanks for listening to replacement level morality we'll see you next week bye